We're back at Mind Rolling. Dave Silver and myself, Raghu Marcus. Hey, Dave. Hi, and welcome everybody who's happening to catch this. Thank you. Yes, absolutely everybody is becoming more than it used to be. Does that make any sense? Yeah, because I mean, it's one of those, you know, I mean, when once if people happen to like it, something like this, I, I certainly tell other people, uh, and that's kind of arithmetical, but eventually it becomes geometrical. Anyhow, we're getting great, nice. <laughs> yeah. How about that? <laughs> we're getting great feedback and more yeah. of it, and it's it's just gratifying. You know, when you put this kind of thing together, I mean, we just love hanging out and, and talking, and I think we hope everybody feels that you get that kind of vibe, that uh, this is fun. And uh, at the same time, we hope, you know, some information comes of that's of some use to any of us. And uh, it when we get this kind of feedback, it is really uh gratifying as i said and the support we are starting to get a little bit more support and we're hoping i mean this is it's becoming something that's you know is is a, a very focused thing for both of us i mean we are we are working we have other things that we're doing obviously um and but this is becoming something that we appreciate getting the uh, green energy feedback as well so and that's through amazon portal is is my favorite thing i mean we have audible.com too which has great great uh, uh books that you can listen to in your car working or whatever you're doing and you get a free trial and we get uh, for everybody who signs up for a free trial they give us 15 dollars. so that's great as well as amazon portal and let's not go any further with it you know we because uh you know, we're told by our mentors, you have to right away, soon as you get on, you got to do something to encourage your audience to, to support what you're doing. And we have a hard time. We've been doing it. And, uh, yeah, we, we do it, we, but we don't want to, you know, if you're driving in your car and you already know this, and then you get like five solid minutes of it at the beginning, it can turn, it can be like, well, come on, get to the, get to the yeah, thing. Yeah. So, well, let's, but we'll do another one later because Duncan Trussell, our guru, uh, has insisted that you have to do it and do it virulently. And he's a wonderful person. He's not a you know any kind of huckster. So you know he's kind of a master actually. So he's told us to do this, and uh, we're going to do it. But for now, we're going to move into um, a, a yeah. Thing. This is great. We're both in Asheville, which is really great at um, Ragu and Saraswati's place, and um, therefore we we you know we bat around things a bit more. And uh, Ragu came up with this terrific article and this is not from the new york times for a change this is from shambhala sun which we've uh we've we've used before as a catalyst shambhala sun's a fabulous magazine. my favorite magazine it's just absolutely. great and it's been around forever and even though it's it's deep and it's detailed it's also extremely readable and and funny sometimes anyway there's an article that rago pointed out called a beautiful wish by uh pretty well-known zen teacher john tarrant and it's from the september a 2013 uh, magazine, if that helps you if in, in your search. Wait, what's the title? That Not that title. There's a, The title that caught my eye is up on the top left there. Okay. Yeah, the title up there is Perfect, and You Could Use a Little Improvement. Okay, but you're, it's not the whole thing. Turn the other page. Top left. No. Here, give me this magazine. Will you? <laughs> I can't find it. He's asking me for very difficult things. This is really, uh, you know... You are perfect the way you are. 
And you could use a little improvement. I just said that. No, you didn't. You said it completely disjointed as two different things. Perfect, and you could use, you are perfect. Anyhow, here, go for it. Well, I, I, I know I'm perfect. Thank you, yes. for, thank you for telling me that. because You're it, it, just not as perfect as I am because I <laughs> never make mistakes. And we're also not nearly as perfect as most of the people who write to us who have written such wise things. I, mean, I don't want to get boring about this, but some people have written to us in the, in the comments uh, department and on, on our website, which you should go to, you know, mindrollingpodcast.com. Um, I, I am just really knocked out by some of the things. Anyway, this article is about uh, a lot of things, but um, I'm just going to read the opening sentence to do honor to the writer, because obviously if it's the opening sentence, it means something. Um, he starts with a Zen koan. The student says, I'm reaching for the light. Please help me. The teacher says, forget about the light. Give me the reaching. Okay. I like that. Yeah, and then Mr. Tarrant says, the desire for a more beautiful life is ancient and enduring. And at the end of that paragraph, he says, the most beautiful form of the beautiful life is inner freedom, the awakening taught in the ancient spiritual traditions. So um, before we get further into that, uh, what do you think about that opening um, koan about forget about the light, give me the teaching? Reaching or teaching? Uh, reaching, I'm sorry. Reaching. reaching and teaching. No, reaching. No, that's a re- whole other thing than teaching. Reaching. Well, the teaching comes from the reaching, you say. So, could you read it again? <laughs> Students. It's a koan. You're supposed to read these things like a thousand times and get until you get to the, you know, the real essence of Well, I got saying. it already. A student <laughs> says, God. I'm reaching for the light. Please help me. Teacher, forget about the light. Give me the reaching. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I do, th- that is a, uh, it's at least somewhat transparent, okay? I'm sure, I, again, if you read them over and over, you start to get a lot of different uh, meanings and levels of, of what it is. But the, the reaching, I think we've been talking about this, actually. And again, we bring up, you know, our favorite wisdom teacher, Sharon Salzberg, uh, in terms of Buddhist uh, thought, uh, or at least our she's our current favorite, and uh, but she's been a favorite for a long forever. time, forever. <laughs> and the thing is, it's just like um, it's similar to when you're sitting, when you're in sitting meditation, and you have a focal point that's the one pointedness, you know, using you know from breath. I mean, in in this case, it's breath, and then as soon as you realize you're completely lost, which she said. She said, in the beginning, I thought, well, you know, a couple of minutes or a few minutes, I'll, you know, and then <laughs> soon she's, this is when she's first starting meditating, and then after two seconds, she realized she's completely gone, which happens to everybody, and most of us, and then she said, so you just let go and go back. You keep letting go and, go, you know, falling down, standing up, so that's the reaching you know that to me is the best definition for reaching, and um, yeah, because once you start doing it, I found it does become habitual, and then it becomes natural, and you do f- look at yourself m- more 
in a more focused way. And you can say, oh, I'm thinking about that. Oh, it's so bad I'm thinking about that. No, I'm just thinking about that. It's not bad, good, whatever. I'm moving on. And it's sort of like that. It's like riding a horse and the horse getting distracted by something it wants to smell. And you just jog it up a little and then you're back on the trail again. And, and it's, you know what it is? It's hard and yet it shouldn't be hard for yourself. In other words, it's, it's, it's a difficult process meditation. But this thing that Sharon and Raghu just mentioned about coming back is really easy. After a while, it becomes second nature. And you realize, oh, I'm not letting these thought forms about, particularly about uh, unworthiness, um, self-judging self-judging yeah absolutely like it gets really complex because you you have an angry thought about someone who, who dissed you in some way or you think they did and then you have another angry thought about having the angry thought then the third one has got to be it's cool mm-hmm. I'm a human being and I'm reaching and even the reaches even the reaches fall as we've yeah, talked right, about in another right there, one yeah. if the reaches fall then I can fall and as long as I'm reaching there's some hope that I'll reach a point of being free from this. Mm. Yeah, and the reaching mm. is just getting up back up on your feet. Right. But, you know, there's another... another inter- now, this is, of course, Zen Buddhist, right? So, that, to me, there's another interpretation when, or uh, another meaning when you talk about reaching. And it's in the Bhakti Yoga tradition. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's just that uh, desire amped up Amped, amped, amped up, so that you're, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're doing a practice where there's subject-object. So in that way, you know, it's it's obvious it's a duality practice. But reaching, you know, you're reaching for something, right? So there is duality in that whole statement. But I think that in the Bhakti Yoga tradition. So you are reaching to communicate with that representation of the unmanifest uh, as Ram, Krishna, Durga, Hanuman. And you're reaching out to that. I mean, this is what we picked up when we were in India, right? I mean, we went to India. We had no idea. It never, you know, I mean, we heard of Krishna because we went to the Hare Krishna place and had lunch. I mean, that was the extent of it. That was it. Yeah. So suddenly we are in India and we are being introduced to these uh, different manifestations of the one and we, uh, we're seeing people who spend you know, a lot of time propitiating that so that it, there is a merging that happens. And so mm-hmm. it's a re- the propitiating is a, it's a kooky word though. Isn't it? It's an interesting sort of yeah. use, but I know what you're talking about. No, but I, know, I, I think it's almost like facilitating. In a, but in a loving way, you know, they're propitiating. They're making this a part of one's life just by their example. They're not teaching you really. They just you just look at them and see the devotional aspect has been moved to the front, and the love is more important than anything. But th- this is love too, because this is paying attention. Yeah, but again, right? I want to go back. Yeah, no, absolutely, mm-hmm. and that's another level of this. The reaching is the is is the accepting to pay more attention, you know what I mean? And uh, so, but I, I just going back to the other, the hint, the area of bhakti yoga, which we found, which, you know, we, uh, again, we saw all this stuff. And to us, it was, you know, it's like Ramdas when he first went to India, he was totally into Buddhism. And he was, and that he thought, 
you know, this Hinduism with all these gods is gaudy and weird and, you know, and it's not sophisticated, very unsophisticated, you know, so he had that kind of stuff going on. Um, so we all had that too, because in our Western background, it was just complete. I mean, you know, maybe if you were, you know, Catholic, of course there was, you know, Mary, there was Jesus and, but as Jewish or, you know, that was a toughie. So we went there and then because we were so wide open, this, it made some sense, at least intellectually, until for me, I was with, uh, and this is years later. I mean, I might have gotten, I mean, I think when we were first encountering Hanuman, the monkey god, I got something there because we were, just because of having met Neem Karoli Baba, having met Maharaji, and something of the mother, there was some way that I could relate, and, and there was the intimation of a reaching to communicate or engage with that vibration, whatever you want to call it. Until I, we had a mentor back there named, as you well know, because you know him, K.C. Tuari, and he, so uh, years later, we would go back to India, and we'd go up to, he had a house at the top of a hill that looked right out, uh, you know, right nearby. You could see the Himalayas. I mean, it was spectacular, and he was a headmaster of a of a, a private uh, boy school. So he would get up every morning at you know like three o'clock, and or certainly by four, and he would he would be propitiating the f- divine uh, Ma, female energy, or Shiva. I mean, these were his two things. He would be doing full-on puja every morning with complete one-pointedness. Mm. He was doing it the way, you know, hey, there's a haagen score store. Let's go. I mean, he had that kind of enthusiasm to do it. It wasn't like, oh, shit, we got to do this now because it's a spiritual thing. And I was, And when I first encountered him and I was with him, the amazing thing is that whatever that thing he was reaching for, he would get it. Like all the, I mean, I, we'd be in, you know, in his presence and you've been there, I think. I mean, he's done, he came to America. You, you, yeah, you, you have. And I also saw the footage that you shot of him in Samadhi, which is like the most amazing thing you've ever seen. You'd think, well, what is it? It's just a man sitting there. Actually, but we do. You're right. We have so this beautiful. footage. Yeah, so incredible. And he was such a, a human human, too. I mean, I didn't know him from the Indian days. I knew him from being in New York when he came. And yeah, when he, he came, he was, you know, Krishnas and I would walk, him and his wife, he had, to, he had some problems, so we were taking him to a, an acupuncturist, a Chinese acupuncturist, right, right. and it was near Times Square, and we'd have to go through Times Square to get there, and at that time it wasn't renovated, and it was just like, you know, all of the porn movies mm-hmm. all around, and he just looked around and pulled that energy and he would just like put his hands up and it was like transmuting this mm. en- it was a lot of energy right a lot of sexual energy obviously going on uh, mm. but he would he he could transmute it all and you know in a very lo- uh, funny uh you know he had a great sense of humor so it wasn't uh, oh, you know it wasn't spiritual or anything um but back to this so so that reaching's an, another kind of reaching and that that gets delicate hearing in the West because it involves devotion. And that's a tough word to really translate. Um, the Tibetan Buddhists have it big time. 
But even to try and get at you know what that is, so this is a, maybe a whole other podcast we could do. Um, you know where it can be understood in in any way uh, is is a difficult concept. I think in the West. I mean, when Ramdas first came back, he said the th- th- three things are that he couldn't talk about were, uh, you know, God, love, and devotion, or, you know, whatever. Um, so uh, I think that's why it's, it is a little easier to go through the Buddhist concept of these things. And, uh, but I just had to bring up that part. Well, the Buddhist concept, to me, actually also helps because Buddha himself was initially um, flawed. Because when he, when, he, when he left the palace and a position of potential, you know, being the king, uh, he and, and Terran talks about it in this article. He made many mistakes. He became too extreme. He was ascetic. He, ascetic. he didn't eat for whatever, however long. You could see his ribs. He looks like a skeleton. In fact, there are icons and paintings, tankas of Buddha, where he looks like a skeleton because he just wouldn't eat. And then he wouldn't do this and wouldn't hang out with people and all of that. And then one day he woke up and said, "It's all in the everyday. This is not necessary." So that humanness of Buddha. Uh, helps me as when it's manifest with his holiness Dalai Lama and other many other great 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 teachers and you get it okay it's to you know to err is human but that erring the the, the Buddhist count as a blessing because each time you were it's better to make a, it's more helpful actually when you make a mistake than when you have a success right. because it, it brings humility that's the thing and tenderness so when you make a mistake and you've done something you've actually done something which which resulted in some kind of hurt um, uh, or degradation or, or erosion of something good, you know, uh, then you, it stops you in your tracks. The Buddhist path is very human, very humane, because it doesn't really involve like, oh my God, you know, this is a God who can walk through walls and fly and he does all these, you know, these cities. And it, no, it's about one person trying to become happy, actually, and not be miserable because he saw that life was temporal temporary and that there was something else much much more satisfying to reach to reach to reach so back to the reaching yeah should i start do another quote yes this is a slightly different thing it's great he says um for humans suffering is a mental thing our impulses are at war with themselves and algorithms are born if chocolate then happy but also fat if fat then ugly if ugly then lonely, unhappy. If chocolate, then, then weight loss program. Hmm. Compared to my border collie, we suffer from our thoughts. But there's a liberating power in noticing this. You know, Raga, I think that's wow. what, you know. Who wrote that? Uh, this man, John Tarrant. Oh, it's John Tarrant? He's still, yeah. Staying, uh-huh. um, John Tarrant. Tarrant. Yeah. I, I pronounced it incorrectly. Oh, that's fabulous. It is, it is. Let's just, the last part of it again, which is, you know, um, he says, compared to the border collie that he has, who's happy and doesn't care about things that we care about because he doesn't have the power of self-reflection, really. He says, we suffer from our thoughts, but there's a liberating power in noticing this. Back to Sharon Salzberg yeah. and Pema Chodron yeah. and other great teachers, which is, I just noticed where I'm really at. Or not where I'm really at, but where my desire systems and everything are pulling me towards. So it can be something as trivial as, it's cold, I don't like being here. Or something much more deep like, you know, 
I just can't deal with my brother. And he's making me crazy and I hate him. When you start noticing these things, you see, the problem again, you know, it's all problematic because it's all semantic, what can I call it, semantic memories, which is most of this stuff sounds very self-righteous. But it's not. It's like really part of the deal, you know, that as you get older or even younger, you know, you know that you've got to look at this before you can start shouting at other people and, and about the society and saying how bad it is. And it's, oh, wait a minute. Aren't you part of this organism? <laughs> you well, know? the big deal is happy. I mean, it, you know, that's, I mean, that is the, uh, you know, primary impulse for everybody is to be happy. And that's, of course, you know, it's hard to remember that when you're in opposition to people. Um, let's talk about... Uh, what? You, tell me your. Tell me a story about. You know, I mean, share with me what it is that uh, has, in your own life, in terms of getting lost and the reaching out. Um. Well. Um. Typically, you know, when I was first working directing films about reggae masters, um, did a film about Bob Marley, which was probably the first real film about him, 1975. And uh, I'm not going to go into the beauty and wonder of working with Mr. Marley, which was beyond words. But then uh, the money that I was owed to do it was never paid to me. Mm. And the executive producer, you know, was really, just said, no, I'm not paying you. It was an honor to do it, and I, I can't afford it. And he just reneged on a contract. And it's all those years ago. And I remember being constantly pissed off at him for weeks and eventually trying to confront him, which ended in disaster. And that was so uh, prevalent in my daily life for weeks that he wasn't paying me for this. And, mm. and it was a very weird shoot. There was uh, all kinds of violence and guns and everything around it, which made it dangerous as well. So my whole crew and I were all tremendously angry with this guy. Mm. Um, he just laughed it off and said, I don't care if you're angry. I'm not paying you, and that's that. Goodbye. And uh, really? we didn't even get the masters, and eventually I, I recently did actually get some of the masters. But the thing was, I remember even back then suddenly realizing how crunched I was and how upset and how unhappy I was. And he says in this article that we're talking about, the Shambhala Sun, it just suddenly went away, and I said, I don't care. And it did happen just like that. And it was such a grudge match. You know, I was so angry with him and I was bad-mouthing him to people who knew us both. And I felt like working with something like Bob Marley, we should be paid. But, it w but actually, he was right in the end. It was a blessing to even, you know, be on that stage with him and be able to get to know this, this amazing uh, creative artist and, and leader. Uh, now when I look back on it, I have no anger whatsoever. I've noticed there's nothing there. I never think about it think about that guy i can't say i'm running over to see him and buy him ice cream but it's nothing it's gone the thing is all those things are nothing and they all have to go and it's it's not this is not like didactic hopefully it's more like hello we all have these things flit, flitting through our minds all the time we have more in meditation than we do in the other times like when we're working at our desk or at our lathe or wherever we're not worried. It's when we meditate that it all comes shooting in. It's like, well, oh my God, I'm obsessed. I was more talking about like oh, I'm sorry. an emotion. Like, <laughs> you should, you have should stopped be. me. should have stopped me. Don't you think that was an interesting little it, anecdote? It was. It was. Uh, it's it, true. But I mean, the fact that, that you were riled up and oh. you 
obviously this was a tremendous emotional thing and that's usually the toughest thing to deal with and in this sense going back to reaching which was in my mind about it um and and this would be the reaching would be just having awareness suddenly yeah appear that's what i'm saying okay because you've you've done you know hopefully enough you keep practicing as you said before keep practicing over and over to get up you know after you fall down and get up and in this case tremendous waves of emotion are going through and somehow you got through it but it's it's there it comes back and comes back and but you can come back and come back look just before we started this podcast i got a text from someone, and I'm That's not right. going to say you who were it was. Swearing, and, and going I was, out of I, mind. I was really sort of said, making, and I'm not going to make any references to who this is because it would be very hurtful, and I really like the person. But there was a little text, and I went, "Why does he do this to me? Why?" You know, and I actually said it out loud. That's how you know in control I am. <laughs> but then, if you heard, I went. No, no, no. He's all right. I love him. I mean, that's what happens when you're 100 years old. Yeah, right. right. Okay, I'm going to tell you uh, something that happened to me. I didn't answer your question. I'm really sorry about that. No, it's completely, um, you went in left field there. No, but it's a nice story, and, and, you know, we want to hear more. I like to hear anything about Bob Marley. I love him. Um, (laughs) But, uh, okay, so this is also a situation for me, a work situation, uh, which really... uh, where I got really tweaked in so many different ways. So, um, and this was with the label that uh, we had, uh, you know, for many years. Triloca Records, great, the best. Um, <laughs> thank you. Well, you know, yeah. it was fantastic. Uh, it was fun, but uh, but in one, um, let's see, we had several incarnations of it where we worked with different partners and one of them was Danny Goldberg who, uh, guys, will, will maybe by this time you'll have heard a great po- a new podcast with Danny. Um, but uh, uh, we were in a partnership with a, uh, actually a very uh, Norm Wade, a really nice guy and he was, uh, you know, a computer you know, he had started a computer company. I can't even remember what it is now. Um, and uh, he had sold it, and he had quite a lot of money. Uh, and so he loved music, and so he started a bunch of labels, and we became one of the labels, and so on and so forth. At one point, after about a year, the, they, the pop side of, of, of the, what they were doing wasn't really doing very well. So they brought in somebody to take over the whole company. And he came in one day, and he was, what are you, why are you laughing? Because <laughs> I, I know this, what's coming. Uh, maybe you don't. Oh, maybe, yeah, all right. all right. Anyhow, he came in, we were all sitting around the boardroom, all the label heads of this conglom- conglomerate of labels. And he was very obese, like big time. And... So I'm, I'm, and I had met him at a party, you know, a couple of days before, I think, and I, I had met him a few times through another friend. And I was going through all, first of all, going through all of my reactions to, uh, you know, a, a, a fat person, okay? And I was just like, you know, didn't want to be around, you know, it was just like gross, you know, I was going through all of the archetypical things, you know? <laughs> It's just so awful. I know. I'm I'm, leaving. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I'm, I'm leaving. So worse 
that he comes into this boardroom and I'm. Com- I, mean, I know it's, it's terrible or something. I mean, you were I admit it already. Leave me alone. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then, no, the, good, so good. then he proceeds to uh, eviscerate every one of these <laughs> <laughs> label heads for not producing enough results, including me, right? And I, so I had this wild combination of uh, anger, pity, being grossed out, uh, you know, complete, uh, complete insanity. <laughs> I mean, in that moment, I can remember the feelings that I had, and I had a terrible time to to get out of it. I mean, I I wasn't getting out of it, and I was so consumed that I can remember this this event to this day in that way. That oh Jesus, I I sure failed at that one. I mean, I did not get. I mean, it. I mean, it, certainly not in any relation to that day. I was still very involved. <laughs> With all of you know, I was swimming in it. So there, uh, you know, whatever it was, I was not able to do that reaching. I couldn't get back up for that moment. And then later, you know, you forgive yourself for not. You know, what are you going to do? That's where I was at. I, you know, mm-hmm. all my years in India. I mean, it, that this happened in late nineties or, or two thousand one or something. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. So it was like embarrassing. At the same time, but you know, I think about it. Okay, what you know? That's the other reaching, by the way, which includes that part about devotion. You know, what can I do? This is your game. I can't do any more than what I am. It's up to you to save my ass. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's that other reaching. So there's two. To me, it's a really important thing. There's the awareness reaching where. You get up, you re- recognize you're down, and you get up. And that's that noticing, you, you know, that we have as humans. And the other is that, there, you know, if you're in any kind of subject-object, you know, thing with whatever it is that represents the universal intelligence, and then you go, this is your game. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen's got that song, I think it's called Depression on um, Wrecking Ball, uh, which is so amazing in this aspect of dealing with this emotion that floods you. Really? And what do you do? Oh, it's such a great song. I, I, I'm, gotta, well, yeah. we'll have to, we have to play it, for God's sake. Okay, well, it's look, too bad these things are so extemporous that we, yeah, you well, know. Yeah, that's the way. But you know, I, that's, I'm making a note, and I'm going to ask you to find that so people. So, with, I mean, we're talking about forgiveness also. Forgiveness is an aspect of this, which is forgiving the person you've hated and forgiving yourself immediately, uh, uh, you know, so that these unworthy impulses don't pollute uh the existential life we live and the life we live with others um let me move on to another thing here because i i really i think this artist is great um he says suffering is fascinating and exciting and people talk about it endlessly because noticing it is how tenderness for our own lives and for the lives of others appears it makes a gap in our difficulties, and in that gap, a path into reality is visible. This guy is can you, I, I'm, I, such a great writer, man. I, that, you want to read it? You so, to? yeah, can I read it? Yeah, it's worth it's worth reading again because if you're driving or something, you can. It's at the bottom of the, on that left side of the column on that page. Suffering is fascinating and exciting. 
that's in itself an oxymoron there. Right. And people talk about it endlessly because noticing it is how tenderness for our own lives and for the lives of others appears. Noticing is how tenderness for our own lives and for the lives of others appears. I mean, that is, yes, that is absolutely, mm. absolutely uh, stupendous. Um, fascinating and exciting. I mean, we've talked a lot, I mean, we talk a lot about, in fact, um, just, uh, I just hope this would go too far off subject, but we are, ha I mean, it's, it's just, it's just uh, a little bit left field. We're, we have been going through um, uh, with Ramdas. Again, everybody, I think you all, many of you know that I also uh, am, uh, work with Ramdas on a day-to-day -day basis through a foundation, Love, Serve, Remember Foundation. And we have a big retreat coming up in uh, December. And I'm sorry to say it's actually sold out. And, and you know, we're right now at the beginning of November. Um, so we were trying to come up with because there's many teachers, we like to have a topic that sort of becomes, forms a uh, a fabric for every all of the teachers and what they talk about to fit together. Uh, it also makes it easier to make the video. <laughs> that's of what the I was damn just say. because otherwise it's all over the place. And now to, we're forcing amazing teachers to conform. That's really to what's a, happening. To a phrase, we're just trying so, to produce these people so yeah, we can get a, a film out of it. So I mean, hard to edit do. if you don't get a theme, you know. Yeah. And we're it, talking about Sharon Salzberg and Katie and Roundus and Joseph Gills. I mean, come on, <laughs> but but Jack. it's good. It's good to have a theme. Anyhow, uh, just in relation to what uh, John is talking about and uh, suffering, as it, uh, it, this may be, this actually, I'm just having this thought. He says, exciting and fascinating. Suffering is exciting and fascinating. No. I mean, just take that. I mean, what, yeah. okay, so the, the theme that we did come up with is suffering as grace, a path to freedom. I think there's a huge analogy, fascinating and exciting, yeah. even though it sounds crazy because yeah. in the in the Hindu thing, I mean, you know, we're coming at this with some, because we have this incredible teacher, actually, Jack Cornfield, who is part of the whole triumvirate of uh, insight meditation people in the West, uh, Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, and Joseph Goldstein. And and, you know, somehow we have this deep relationship with the three of them for many, 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 many years. Um, so we, we do these things and we, we are trying to kind of combine a Buddhist point of view and, and the bhakti yoga point of view and, and see how it all is just coming from the one. So I think there's a, you know, suffering is grace and, you know, trying to define grace, um, that that's a tough thing like devotion you know so uh, I, i'd like to go back to john's thing of exciting and fascinating meaning what well we we well there's many levels on the most cynical level it's we enjoy misery uh you know in terms of we moan about it whereas we don't usually get on the phone and say how are you doing? I'm so great, and I'm going to do this, and my day is bright, and the sun is shining, and, you know, I have met some great people who do do that, but most people go, well, it's okay, I'm having a run, it's all right, what's the matter? 
well, you know, my cable is out, and you know, and bullshit. Um, we talk about suffering, but on a much larger level. I was, <laughs> I got to mention this. I was helping Ramdas into the van that he used to have after a course session, and um, got him in, and, and that was cool. And I was about to join him, and then a young man came up to me and said, "Can I ask you a question?" I said, of course. He said, do you work with Ram Dass? I said, well, not really, but nobody sort of works. He's him, you know. I mean, help him and make his life easier, maybe. But he said, well, why did six million Jews get killed in the concentration camps? He says this to you? Write to me like that. He said, what? Give me, give me any kind of rationale for the fact that all my, and he was Jewish, all, all of them were just gassed. And I said, well, I've got to get in the van. <laughs> Because, you know, but later that day, I, I sat with this fellow and, and we talked about it. Suffering, it, it engages us because we don't understand if it is perfect, then why is there suffering? If it's perfect, no suffering. Whereas um, Duncan Trussell said on one of the recent podcasts, he said, meditation isn't pleasant. Mm-hmm. In other words, life is life. And he says, Trussell says, somehow on this planet, Oh, no, Danny Goldberg said it, another one of our guests. He said, somehow on this planet, there's light and darkness. It just has always been that way. It is that way. And what we have to do is reconcile that with the the one. And that in itself is fascinating, as Actually, well as difficult. He know. said, uh, he talked about it in these terms, which is we have to keep remembering our mentors, like Martin Luther King in this case, and we have to reach, out, reach to... To get back at to get back the love that he represented honestly and substantially without any question, so there you know that that uh, was a, a wonderful other uh, definition for for reaching. I think this here though suffering is fascinating, and exciting. People talk about it endlessly. Okay, and that's kind of what you you know people just talk about this yeah. the, the crap you know from the littlest thing and it just comes out of you constantly. Um, but noticing it. So I, I think the things that are, you know, way more than your, you know, cable went out, you know, the th- just noticing, you know, tremendous, like the emotion I just talked about, that particular example, I was just, uh, you know, I was embarrassed for what I was thinking about this poor guy. And I, I was angry at what he was doing. And I was, uh, you know, it was just a, a mm. wild mix of, 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 of things. So had I been more aware and conscious in that moment, I would have noticed these things and they were so virulent. I, that would have been like fascinating, surely, if I could get, see, if you can get far enough back from a vantage point where you're not so sucked into the emotions, thoughts, and so on, you go, wow, that's amazing, amazing that Wow, incredible uh, thought. Wow, incredible emotion. And I think, and, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and then the next thing, which I believe you're talking about forgiveness, right? Did you mention yeah, that just before? And then so yeah. the tenderness for our own lives. So you have to have that tenderness, you have to have some forgiveness. You know, you have to forgive yourself. So this is really. I mean, you know, and, 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 he, and I think Buddhists would be the first to admit that it comes in, in many different ways, some of which are grandiose, some of which are tiny, but I do remember this, that when I was in Midtown on 9-11 and knew what had just happened, and I was there when it happened, not, not at the World Trade Centers, but I saw the trails in the sky and I smelled the smell, okay? So I was there. Uh, there was a fearful moment 
But very soon, my better self took me over because I saw people who were in real suffering. Mm-hmm. And I had to do something. I saw a cop sitting on the sidewalk on 59th Street crying. Mm. I went over to him. I said, officer, can I help you? And he just couldn't talk. He was just sobbing. And, you know, that changed me. In, I have to say this with total sincerity, no irony whatsoever. I was a different person after that. Uh, not just after that one instance, but the whole experience and of thinking of, of what just happened and the way there was a collective vibe in the city, which was actually quite strangely beautiful. It was quiet. Mm-hmm. It was quiet. There was, no lo- there was no looting. There was no crime. There were no murders. There was no nothing. Everybody was just thrown to the ground by the nature of circumstance. And I felt tremendous humility and sweetness. And um, I'm not saying that that's been maintained, but it's been, you know, 12 years since then. And I still remember that day, not just in that sort of headline way, you know, that we were attacked, but what happened to me that I saw things that made me tremble. And I, was, had, to, I had to somehow come out of myself. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I should tell this story because it's so bizarre. I want to tell it. Mm, you please. like these kind of stories. Yeah. So I was, I, eventually, it was so hot that day, and you couldn't get any water because it was all sold out by 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was kind of worried because being dehydrated in 88 degrees when you've just been attacked by terrorists is, is sort <laughs> of not pleasant. And I was just sort of out of sorts on that level. Walking up 9th Avenue, I got to 57th Street, actually, and um, um, th- th- there was no traffic. There was nothing except fire trucks and car and, and police cruisers and ambulances. And uh, so I just sort of didn't know what to do. And I'd heard that if you walk up the West Side Highway for 12 miles, I could walk home. This was not a great prospect, but I realized I saw people doing it. So I thought, maybe I'll do it. I was on the corner. There's a tech school. Uh, right on the corner, I believe, of 50, uh, 57th and 9th. And there were a bunch of school kids that were all outside because they were all let out of school. They'd just been let out of school. Mm. And um, I was looking around. One of the kids saw that I was kind of like lost. And he came up to me, a 12-year-old African-American kid, and said, hey, mister, what's the matter? I said, well, you know, I didn't know whether he knew entirely what had happened. But I said, oh, it's a weird day. That's all I said. And he said, you're looking for a cab or something? I said, yeah, but there's no cabs. He said, man, I've seen cabs on that corner, Caddy Corners across 57th and 9th. I've seen people get in them in the last 20 minutes. And he really kind of did this and looked me straight in the eye and said, I'd go over there if I were you. You could get a cab. And I said, thanks so much, thinking that this was ridiculous. I went over to the other side of the street, and I was there for no more than one minute. And a stretch, very shiny black Lincoln limousine pulled up to me rolled down the window and said, hey, mister, you want a lift? <laughs> I said, oh, uh, I, I, I'd love one, but the ATMs are all down and I have no money. I have $9. He said, no, no, not money, man. I Get in the car. He said, just get in the front if you don't mind. I got in the front. <laughs> he said, where are you going? I said, Riverdale. He said, okay, we can take Riverside. There's roadblocks. There's uh, all kinds of National Guard, but we can get through it in a limo because I'll just say you're important. I said, why are you doing this? He said, I've got to get to Montefiore. My wife works as a nurse there. It's on the way. I'll take you home. I said, okay, so we get in. And then as soon as I get in, he bursts into tears. Another one. Mm. And he says, oh, man, uh, my name is Jose. I don't remember his second name. I'm Honduran, man. I came to this country because I love America. I came 14 years ago. 
And look what happened. I worked for Morgan Stanley, man. My boss is dead. Really? I said, are you sure? He said, yes. We got information. We know our floor is gone. And, uh, you know, and he was crying, you know. I said, Don, it's okay. You don't have to drive. And then I made the silly move, which was really grotesque of saying, I'll drive the car. No. <laughs> and anyone who's driven me driving a Volkswagen knows that driving a stretch limo, we'd, we'd end up dead with all the rest of everybody. Anyway, he drove me home. And on the way, I had to, you know, I re- my job. I asked him, oh, I said, why did you stop for me? You must have passed lots of people. He said, oh, you look like a nice guy. Hmm. And I said, well, I'm pretty, I'm okay. So all the way back up to, which took a long time, we went through roadblocks. And each time, and he, you know, by this time I was in the back. He said, you can't sit in the front if you're a VIP. And he knew how to do it. And we got to the roadblocks at one hospital and there were two others. You know, and he just, the Marine or the National Guard would lean in and say, oh, yes, what's your business here? He said, oh, it's my boss, has to get home. And for some reason, because of our military industrial society, <laughs> they let us through. Oh, and I got home. And when I got home, there was just silence everywhere, you know. In that day, what's more important than that story is I, I saw a suffering human being. I helped him, but he actually helped me more. I had no way of getting home. It would have taken me all day. I would have collapsed on the highway and be at a corpse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just knew that I, I, I couldn't walk 12 miles home in the heat. It was just too much. There he was. He helped me. And he made me understand the, the gravity of the situation and how hum- humbled I was by him. At the same time, he needed me. He wanted someone to talk mm, to. Right. He talked all the way about his wife and his three kids and what a great guy he was, you know. And I gave him my number. I said, you know, anytime, come and can have a drink, a cup of tea. Please, you saved mm. my life, you know. Never saw him again. It's like an angel. That whole day reduced me to understanding that most of my preoccupations were bullshit. Most of my obsessions, most of them were just had to go. That did it for everybody. In fact, the whole country, at least in the yeah. first hours, days, uh, where everybody came together in a way that they hadn't come together. I don't know. I mean, you know, a lot of divisive stuff this country is based on. Um, so uh, that does show that that kind of suffering as grace in another right i mean mm. these everybody did come together in a way that they could recognize each other so you have you know true true parts of themselves right. so you have to say well that was certainly the the uh, grace part of this horror horrific suffering uh so uh, unfortunately it usually does take that so in you know mm. In a smaller way, suffering that isn't that large, but certainly large. People lose their jobs, they, they don't have enough money, or they have emotional suffering of many different kinds. I mean, you can go on and on and on. That <laughs> it, it, is, it is endemic to who we are as humans. And, and what he's saying here is, is when you can start to even think of it as exciting or fascinating to see this kind of stuff, and you've stepped ba- back a little bit, and then you can start to act. Uh, I think it's a you know in forgiveness, and then you you get way more sensitive uh, about not just yourself but other people, which is what happened. What you just described is that mm. everyone got really tender after being wiped out by this thing, and then recognizing you know exactly we don't need to engage in any of that because. I got to help somebody, you know, I got to yeah. respond. Yeah. There's no choice. So yeah. 
um, it's an extreme example of, of what he's talking about and much easier to understand with that kind of intensity. Yeah. Know? I mean, it fascinate, the word fascinating is the sort of weird word there. And I guess what he's saying is that, you know, we don't understand it, so we, we tinker with it all the time. We noodle with it all the time. So well, why? You know why? And then when you get into devotional yoga or you get into uh, almost any kind of Buddhism, I'm sure. There are many kinds of Buddhism. There, it does help very, very, very much. And, 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 you know, I mean, I read somewhere a couple of days ago that atheists live in wonder too. And you have to accept that. That, as Miragu has said a million times, uh, those that were blessed to be with um, Maharaji in India uh, were blessed to be with Maharaji in India. Uh, but, you know, you can be blessed by, uh, I read a haiku in your bathroom last night about, you know, seeing a bird, bird's nest in the dome in Hiroshima that was what was left after the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. And this haiku, I don't, can't quote it quite, but it was about just seeing a bird's nest right in there. And the haiku was suggesting that life goes on that isn't your individual ego. It's all of life. And later in this in this wonderful article, he talks about getting out of the space of the ego and into everything. So that even though you can't maintain that all the time, maybe, it is possible to look at something and be it rather than just look at it and then forget it. And that I'm me, I know I've got eyes, ears, bones, I'm walking around, I'm a me of some kind. But in the big picture of, uh, you know, uh, what, what is it, thinks of so-called Big Bang, you know, 20 billion light years. Our little tiny spark of a life is, um, shouldn't make us too crazy because it is a spark of a life and there are other sparks of other lives, both for us and for everything else. So it's this perspective that Buddhism gives me. It just has helped me so enormously in getting out of this, you know, that it's the opposite of what most people say. The people say bad things about Buddhism, they say, oh, Buddhism says life is suffering. And therefore, I don't want to know about that. I want a life to be happy. That's the exact opposite. His Holiness says, and all the others say, life is about happiness. But that doesn't deny that there is suffering on the road. And if you don't recognize the suffering living total denial, the suffering is gets worse. Mm. I mean, right? Yep. Uh, Are we getting to uh, pontificator or pontificator? Oh, you just pontificated for quite a yeah, while. Yeah, I'm feeling, here, so guilty. I, I'm feeling I, quite I guilty to, about it. Actually. At least, you know, I want equal time on the pontificator. <laughs> oh, no, okay? you, you have uh, it. No, it's just this fascinating because you interpreted it that way. And uh, I have another idea about what he means by fascinating and it is exemplary or easily understood i think by this story that i've heard about aldous huxley aldous huxley boy i bet there's some books that you can uh you can buy some uh audible dot on audible dot <laughs> noticeably smoothly okay it just came to there. me it just <laughs> came to me sorry Okay, but go ahead and get a free trial at audible.com and get Aldous Huxley books. Anyhow, Aldous, when he, he was dying, I mean, he had some cancer, and he, he was still mobile, and uh, he, would, he would take, I think he was taking a lot of acid when, when he knew. Isn't that true? You've heard that? I've heard it from, I heard it from my friend who lived next door to him. Oh, okay. Well, that's reliable. So, no, he told me that. And he would walk around, and everything he'd see, he he could he couldn't talk anymore except for the one word, 
extraordinary. Every, everything where his eye and his senses glanced, extraordinary. And I think that relates to this John Tarrant's thing about fascinating. It's just, yeah. it can become where you yeah. see you are not so hooked in to your attachment to thoughts, emotions, or whatever you see, that you can see the extraordinariness of the phenomena as as what it is in reality, and you're not you're no longer hooked by it. That's what I think is uh, is is a lot of what John's trying. To, we should find John. Let's find John. Yeah, Tarrant, we'll find. Him. We have friends. We want to find John. you. If, if anybody tells you about this, please be open to doing one of these with us because we just love this this piece you know yeah uh, it's wonderful i mean it gets this article actually gets goes up and down into the infinite and back down into driving on the road in, in road rage and he talks about this attorney that was a friend of his who was just based his whole life on anger because he said anger worked in the courtroom anger worked in the in the mediation room anger worked everywhere he's very successful mm. and then somebody somehow got him tickets to see his holiness and he said, I don't want to see him. I'm not interested in that. But he went. And he said it was awful for him. Four days of wriggling. He couldn't sit still. He didn't get it. It was horrible. And he said, um, well, I'm not going to pay any attention to this guy who says that we shouldn't have anger. That's the way I make my living. Get out of here. So then he's in some road rage scene somewhere. And it, there's all kinds of stuff going between him and another driver. And then he said to himself, ah, I spent this money on it. I'm going to use, I'm going to try it out. I'm gonna, so he started laughing at the guy, just laughing nicely, not with any edge, and it all worked out fine. <laughs> and then he started to get it. Oh, my goodness. My anger is not really helping me at all. And through the transmission of a great master, really, I mean, let's face it, sitting with, even though he was resistant, he brought the wrong kind of pillow to sit on. So he was moving like an eel the entire time <laughs> because it, it, it was just awful. But this little speck of something got through where he had that noticing and reaching suddenly, he reached for what he knew he never wanted to reach for before, which was to actually contravene everything he believed in. Mm. And that that I that was successful as an attorney suddenly became very, very sort of insignificant to him. And he realized... Amazing uh, story. Yes, he tells the story much better than I do, but it's in, it's in the article. Oh, great. And, you know, you do hear examples of that from people. I mean, George Wallace... Okay, remember George Wallace, the segregationist mm -hmm. governor of Alabama, uh, was the most racist guy I can ever remember. There were others of his ilk in the 1950s. He was shot. Someone tried to assassinate him. And if you remember, those of you who were old enough, George Wallace changed. It was very weird. Hmm. He became quite very tolerant and spoke That's out right. against racism and said, this is wrong. And he was the most virulent guy. Mm, he was yeah, the worst. He was the one that stood at the... At the, he, the federal troops were sent in by Johnson or Kennedy, I don't remember which, to, to, to desegregate his state. And he stood yeah. there and defied... And he was like, whoa, it was awful. And then he mm. changed. And, and I think that, um, that John Terrence also talking about the fact that he says... He says at one point, he says... I love people who say, why should the change be slow? Let it be now. Usually younger, younger folks than him. And he said he really loves that because it happens. Mm. That someone can just go, I'm doing this. I've met a lot of people, you know, just go, I'm doing it. I'm going to, whatever I have to do, Vipassana, not a Vipassana, take it, whatever it is. I'm not suggesting taking any substances whatsoever, <laughs> ever. 
So <laughs> let's just get that clear. But certainly help me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. You know. So next, what do we? Uh, what's next? Oh, well, let's do more of the article because I. You've got, no, no, we're at the end. You know what, what I'm thinking? We're at the yeah, end of this. Yeah, we're at the end of All our right. show. Okay. Yeah, we've. Okay. But what I was thinking of, there is way more, right? Yeah. Uh, and and there's not just so that was John actually. We j- we just did John's piece of this, and there, I see the next one is. You know, a, a Rinpoche, they've got a Rinpoche here, and uh, they've got uh, tons of other people. And we need to, uh, we'll review it. Let's have a part two. Yeah. Let's have a part two for, Okay. Uh, what is the name of this thing again? For God's sakes. Uh, you are perfect the way you are. You could use a little improvement. <laughs> <laughs> And you could use a little improvement. That's Suzuki Roshi, a great Zen, uh, who brought Zen to America, basically, right? Yeah. Um, so we're at the end, Dave. Uh, this was good. I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, uh, please write in. If we are absolutely boring the shit out of you because of any kind of pontification of spiritual matter, uh, with a, just uh, let us know. Maybe we're being too uh, self-judgmental uh, and reflective here. I don't know. But or you could write in and, and lie and say we're great because yeah. we don't want to get more suffering. We exactly. just <laughs> we can't handle it. So be as nice. you can hear be by nice. these incidents that constantly happen to us, uh, it's great. Uh, no, I want to keep going with this. So All right. uh, Dave well, is here now, so we're, we can just keep doing it. Yeah, and we will, and you'll uh, just join us. Uh, next time on mind rolling podcast and go to mindrollingpodcast.com and dave's got interesting stuff up there for you to relate with we need more relating with with what dave's doing yeah. comment on his blog like that anything and we're going to put up some you know music and stuff wherever we do, uh, depression by springsteen uh see you later okay bye